0: You're listening to Metrics & Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to sit down with Pete Lorenko, head of marketing at Alice, to talk about how they have managed to generate 70% of qualified pipeline, or total booked revenue, through inbound, namely through their website. You'll learn how Pete focuses his marketing team's efforts around one or two big bets that he makes, and then how he uses leading indicators to validate that these bets are working. You'll also learn the step by step process he took to dramatically increasing their inbound qualified pipeline. Honestly, Pete shared so much, it's hard to even summarize here. So I really hope you enjoy it and get a ton of value out of this episode. All right. So I'm super excited to be joined on the podcast today by Pete Larenko. Uh, This is, I'm calling it now. This is going to be, I'm new to hosting the show, but this is going to be one of my favorite episodes because Pete. Uh, it's not just a brilliant marketer, but a friend. He's someone who's helped me a lot in my uh, career journey. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing to see where he goes, and uh, super excited to have him share a little bit more today. So, Pete, thanks so much again for joining today.
1: No, thanks, Jeremiah. I'm I'm excited. Thank you for the opportunity to share this space with you and and the audience. So, looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, okay, so your logo, I mean, I see it everywhere. Uh, your company's
0: logo everywhere. You guys are doing a great job with it. But for those who are not familiar, uh, maybe in the B2B space, can you give like the 30-second elevator pitch for Alice? What's like, what's Alice all about for people who don't know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Alice provides a better way to do outbound marketing using corporate gifting, swag, and direct mail. And there's, by the way, some amazing options in this space it's still i would argue more in the infancy in terms of maturity as a uh, marketing technology but really the way we view it our unique point of view is the common approach to outbound is sending unwanted touches by the way like gross word (laughs) (laughs) and and treating each of these touch points as a transaction meaning like i'm sending you something to get you to commit to doing something in return Mm. And we're also uber-focused on trying to drive attention and action using this transactional approach via strategies like email, ads, events, even out-of-home type of activities. And as you know, Jeremiah, and most, most likely everyone, <laughs> we're all opting out at, at higher rates than, than ever before. So we believe there's a better, more effective way to do outbound where you focus every interaction on being personal. Relevant and thoughtful not just one or two of those those three collective things In conjunction and by doing so you're delivering outbound experiences that your customers Your prospects and even your employees actually love and for us the way we think about Experiences people love is they actually thank you for it. So for Mm -hmm. example when you send a thoughtful when you send a gift that's thoughtful and it's personal and it's relevant to what people care about and, and have a passion around. We get a lot of thank yous for that. And, and a lot of people who utilize gifting at the right time. Get thanked. And that's, that's our definition. That's our viewpoint about the value of what Alice can offer and how it can help uh, B2B organizations elevate their outbound marketing. So, I love it.
0: That's awesome. Totally agree with you. And uh, I also agree that touches is a gross word. Um, I've just never heard anyone say it.
1: <laughs> it's so um. gross. I and I never realized it either until uh a a lovely marketing person on our team kind of brought that up to me one day. I'm like, You're totally right. Like I've been referring to everything as a touch point and touches and I uh, just like I don't know about you, Jeremiah. I barely like being touched by even like a, a health specialist, <laughs> let alone <laughs> referring to everything we do as marketers as touches and touch points. It's it's gross. Sorry. Yeah, no, no,
0: it's cool. Uh, all right. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about qualified pipeline and the percentage that you've been able to source through inbound and kind of how you did that. Um, before we get there, I think it'd be, uh, fun to start kind of what other metrics are you all tracking on a regular basis? Like as you lead marketing at Alice, um, I'm sure there's like every team owns a ton, but what are some like major metrics that are super important to your team?
1: Yeah. So we have two levels of goals and metrics, probably like everyone we have company wide goals that we translate to shared, go to market, uh, metrics across sales and marketing. So examples for company wide goals are things like net AR growth because we're a SaaS uh, offering retention and renewal rates and nps score those are like examples and then one unique corporate goal for us would be like number of gifts sent and accepted across all of our customers okay now how that would examples of how that would be translated at a go to market level across sales and marketing would be sales qualified meetings meaning actual meetings taking place that's a leading indicator okay right pipeline and revenues lagging Okay. If you don't have enough of the app bats, enough uh, meetings that are actually converting to discovery and demo conversations, then how are we going to get pipelines? It's not going to just magically appear. So we look at sales qualified meetings as kind of that leading indicator. We're not notice I'm not referencing terms like marketing qualified leads or some of those uh, terms that a lot of us are maybe more legacy familiar with. Our focus is on qualified meetings for sales and then ultimately how does that convert to a qualified pipeline and revenue i think jeremiah we talked before this so i know you'll want that definition and i'll get to that here in a bit one last thing i'll mention is we also track the conversion rates across those stages so as we are generating inbound leads or even if we're doing outbound motions and those are creating people who are raising their hands say i want a meeting we're we're tracking from start to finish, what percentage of those make it to an actual meeting? So scheduled meeting versus a meeting actually taking place. Typically those meetings start with a quick, hopefully a brief discovery call that helps us then personalize a demo that gets into the nitty gritty of what that individual needs to know and understand. And then tracking and measuring those demos to what we refer to at that point as pipeline or qualified pipeline stages. Things like contract being sent out contract signed all that stuff so we track that throughout that and then we're just looking at where the potential gaps or follow-ups might be and things of that nature so
0: yeah this is amazing so you're right i am gonna want to uh jump into some of these so uh okay so company-wide your go-to-market team's focused on net arr Retention and renewal rates, mm-hmm. and then um, and what was what was the fourth one? You said there's a, a corporate. We have some gifting. unique. Yeah, I
1: gave you a few, but we also have some unique ones that are unique to us as a gifting company. Okay. So things like number of gifts sent and accepted. That's an important metric to us, as that ties back to overall ROI and value of the product itself. So there okay. are some top line company goals for us, and you know, candidly, I would say when we think about setting goals at a company level, we are definitely Probably like many, borrowing that Salesforce and kind of Mark Benioff V2 mom, I think is how you pronounce it, framework. Whereas, if I recall, it's like vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measurements. I think that's accurate. Okay. The definition of it. So, we're definitely borrowing that framework to help set the company goals. And then we are prioritizing the key metrics and kind of goals that are tied to helping us achieve those top line metrics uh and one phrase i i heard the other day from kaylee and i hope i don't mispronounce her last name edmondson she's a director of demand gen she's Uh, actually going to
0: be coming on the podcast
1: yeah i i love a lot of the stuff kaylee talks about so kaylee i heard her use a term the other day called common current currency and i'm gonna if kaylee listens to this i'm gonna steal that but what, uh, like, so, Jeremiah? I think the way to think about this is we have those company-wide goals that you mentioned, net AR, gross retention rates, etc. And then we're translating that to common currency goals: qualified sales meeting, qualified pipeline, and revenue. And really, ultimately, what percentage of that pipeline is converting to revenue? Those are common currency metrics for our go-to-market team. We're all speaking the same language. We're all aligned on those are the metrics that we care about because if we achieve those respective measurements then we are in a higher likelihood of achieving our ultimate goals as a company so that's think of it in its simplest terms of what are those and again kudos to Kaylee what are those common currencies that the organization cares about both at the company level and at those kind of individual go-to-market team levels for us it's those three things as a sales and marketing team And then our entire language, everything we do, the way we prioritize focus, ties back to how does this contribute or not contribute to those common currencies, if you will. So basically,
0: the goals serve as like the horse blinders that like whether a project is is within Mm -hmm. or without a scope. Like, hey, this either contributes to the goal, and and are these Um, um, are are these being like how often are you looking at these metrics, and are you looking at them? as individual siloed teams within the greater go-to-market team or is the go-to-market yeah. team all together looking at this and how frequently are you kind of all, like how transparently are you all kind of taking ownership and looking at this or how does that break down?
1: Yeah, 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 It's a good question. Um, loaded question. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I would say overall, again, as a go-to-market shared marketing and sales team in, in conjunction, sometimes CS as well, we review progress against our common currency goals, if you will, or those three metrics I mentioned on a weekly basis together okay so we're tracking you know how many sales qualified meetings we're creating what percentage of those are getting to demo what is our top of the funnel conversion rates you know meeting to demo then bottom of the funnel demo to closed one and that's sort of how we measure it again those are the indicators to us if we're we have the right progression in terms of both activity and volume coupled with quality and how that quality is converting through the ultimate customer journey and we are reviewing that on a weekly basis we then do monthly and quarterly reviews like for example probably like everyone right now given some of the economic uncertainty in the world we have been working recently on reviewing quarterly performance to date and how does that quarterly review scope maybe reforecasting, reprioritization or adjustment of some of those original kind of planned targets and goals that we had. So it's, it's a combination of weekly, monthly, and quarterly, and we could get deeper, but I think that's pretty consistent for most people. Though one other thing I would add is I'm not a personal fan of meetings. So at least for the marketing team, I, you know, one uh, belief I have is unfiltered transparency. So for marketing, I like to distribute progress against these top line goals via video updates in our slack channel as opposed to like scheduling a weekly or monthly hour session where i'm just regurgitating the same metrics over and over again so uh, my team is i don't (laughs) they seem to enjoy it but typically they are receiving video updates from me walking through like hey here's a overview again of the goals that we have and here's a status and a progress check of how we're doing against those goals and then if needed Depending on how we're trending against those, we will then when we do schedule a meeting, it's talk about barriers, obstacles, or allowing for brainstorm sessions so we can think about creative ways that we can elevate experiences or elevate results as opposed to a meeting to review performance and to inform people on performance. That for me personally is not a good use of time. so right, okay. so these are so these are updates that you essentially like,
0: these are weekly video updates you're sending, just saying here are the numbers, here's how we're trending either up or down or like things are going well. And then if things start to not be where you want them to be, that's when you'll actually use the meeting time for a more productive like, and are people, are, is your team invited to sort of like collaborate in or suggest ideas into why that might be? Or how, how much is that like collaborate? How does collaboration and how much are you as a team kind of thinking about, uh, you know, handle like overcoming these obstacles together i guess is the right way to say it
1: yeah so when we do those weekly and kind of monthly reviews as a go-to-market team it's not just like me and the leader of sales or the sales directors it's appropriate representation across customer success sales marketing and even a lot of our senior leadership team um that's intentional that's to be able to first kind of make the entire organization aware of how we're progressing, but it's also to have just very honest and direct conversations around trends we're seeing potential obstacles and barriers. If, if we do identify a barrier then and there as we're reviewing performance, then we try to action against it quickly instead of just letting things foster for too long or fester. I think that's probably the better word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, conversely for the marketing team, uh, When I do the video updates, it's again to inform what I then do is have a weekly marketing leadership meeting with my directs where we review, we go into that, that level deeper, which is just progress against prioritization, brainstorming type sessions and addressing kind of tensions or or challenges. That is typically how we operate. And then we'll pull in the bigger team, usually more on a quarterly cadence, to allow for like those brainstorming things and like that sometimes we do it monthly sometimes we'll just aim for quarterly it really just comes down to how much adjustments do we need to make in terms of adjusting campaigns or we want to get more creative or we want to test a new approach but we try to be ruthless in our prioritization so unless there's clear indicators that we need to pivot we tend to be focused on two or three things at a time and being just all in on those things so for example we're very bullish on LinkedIn and maybe TikTok in the future. We don't waste cycles on other platforms. Granted, we have the benefit of we're marketing to marketers and, and in some cases, sellers. So those two channels for mentioned, work really well for us. But we're not wasting endless cycles in other places, which means we just maintain that focus. And we're looking for some of those indicators like content engagement. And I gave you the top line goals. There's other indicators that we can talk about that we look at, for example, We believe in content distribution on channels like LinkedIn. So when we're sharing content, it's typically in the form of like a short video. Uh, We're looking at how often that video is consumed in terms of length of viewership, (laughs) which accounts are engaging with, things like that. And those are leading indicators to the future of like what percentage of those ultimately come in and convert to a sales qualified meeting? What percentage of those? So we're looking for those types of indicators and as a result, we're not magically like trying to shift our prioritization as frequently as I'm used to in past lives. So we're, yeah. That's one thing I would say I'm, I'm ruthless about with the team is pick a, make a few big bets, and unless the data tells us we need to pivot for some strange reason, usually on a quarterly basis, we don't we don't move away from those priorities.
0: And so your the top line goals you gave me are kind of for the entire team or the entire like mm-hmm, go to market mm-hmm. team but then mm-hmm. you carry this methodology down to each channel it sounds like so like you have linkedin and you've got leading indicators that linkedin is going to work while you wait for the qualified meetings to come in Correct
1: yeah so what i gave you is the top cuz you <laughs> the way you framed the question those are the top line metrics that are shared for sales and marketing and then based on the big bets we've made we have secondary performance metrics that we're watching for. Typically, it's behavior related content consumption or direct traffic to our website or traffic to demo form conversion. It's not a lot. We try to keep those metrics to two or three as well per big bet we're making. But in the simplest form for everyone listening, it's company goal translated to go to market shared sales and marketing goals, pipeline sales qualified meetings, and revenue. And then those are translated to a couple big bets in marketing, typically two or three. And within those big bets are some secondary metrics that we're tracking as indicators to, almost if you think of it like the funnel, although I like the bow tie better, almost like a bow tie, it's those big bets as they're performing, they're feeding into those top line shared marketing and sales goals we have. And obviously if those are performing, they feed into the company goals, so that's that's how we approach it. It's it's served us well. Um, P.S. I don't pretend to be an expert. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, this no, is a I lot of learning it. and adjusting and and just tweaking as we go, and uh, it's it's working for us. So, yeah, no, I love it. I
0: think the the summary is perfect. Um, super super helpful. Um, okay, so before we talk about how you actually like took pipeline or qualified pipeline and and were able to get to driving 70% of it through inbound methods, namely your website. Um, how do you, you mentioned this early, like in the first, uh, I think in answering one of the earlier questions, what constitutes qualified pipeline for you? You said there were some like indicators that it's yeah. got to meet.
1: Yeah, for us, qualified pipeline is when an opportunity, it's really when a scheduled demo meeting takes place. And we chose this metric because when deals reach this stage, we're aiming for a minimum 20% win rate from demo to c- close one. And the benefit of this for us is it gives us a pipeline multiplier of 5x. And that then we're able to take that multiplier and work backwards. Said in simplest terms, if you have a revenue goal of 1 million and you know based on a 20% qualified pipeline run rate that you need five X that in pipeline. That means you need to create 5 million in pipeline. And if you know what your qualified meeting to demo and then demo to, you know, the bottom of the funnel conversion rates are, then we can forecast backwards the type of activity we need. And then it's informs us on where we make the big bets. Okay. So that's how we do it. Um, Again, it's something I've been practicing in a few different roles uh, there might be a better model out there. I'm not familiar with it, but it it's something we adopted when I joined. And it has uh, allowed us to have better focus as a team on one shared common metric.
0: Yeah. And now in some ways, like this, this was curious about, we, we try and ask this question and for more obscure metrics or some, some companies like have really proprietary, like we obviously mm-hmm. could have talked about a proprietary metric for gifting that you all use. So this, but this question is going to seem obvious, I think on the outset, we ask it like, but regarding like why this became a priority for you, obviously, it's pipeline, right? So it's like a massive priority for you. Um, But what drove the focus of making it more inbound? Like, like you've got a lot going on. You make a few big bets it seems like you've oriented a lot of, uh, your projects around driving this. So what, what was the priority or the onus behind prioritizing, uh, taking your qualified pipeline and trying to get as much of it as possible or a very, very, I mean, you're at 70%. Uh, what was the onus behind driving that amount through like through inbound channels?
1: Yeah. So I think to start, um, again, the logic of focus on qualified pipeline is as a marketing team, one of our, shared common goals with the organization in terms of those company-wide goals is how do we help drive as much net new logo revenue growth as possible there's other metrics expansion retention but for most marketing teams at least the teams i've been a part of uh, net new logo acquisition tends to be the largest goal that a lot of marketing teams have or at least prominent goals so qualified pipeline is Ultimately, for us, the key focus area in terms of if you're generating enough pipeline through both your marketing and sales activity, it's the highest probability of being able to achieve those shared goals that you have. So, you know, the TLDR, if you will, is the reason that we chose qualified pipeline as the, t- the key metric is the approach enables us to forecast as I was alluding to, how much pipeline we need, and then the at- level of activity needed to reach it. It also gives us a starting place to zero, um, and from when we're not achieving goals so like we can look at if there's drop off in conversions or um, for some reason if we're not performing at the rate we want to the first place we start in terms of our assessment is what is the pipeline health and by the mm-hmm. way i don't know if this is rocket science necessary to a lot of people but that's how we approach it um and then we'll get into i think again we talked pre-meeting here but uh we'll talk about inbound outbound and kind of how we focus it, but what we then measure is what's contributing to that qualified pipeline. And we're doubling, And we talk about those big bets, we're doubling down in the areas that are the largest sources of that qualified pipeline. And we're tracking that really, I'll jump ahead for a second and say, we track the sources of qualified pipeline really two ways. Anything that comes from an inbound source, we use self attribution, meaning we ask, we enable people to tell us how they heard about us via an open text field on our forms um we then follow up with them on sales calls or on cs calls and just validate information because you'd be fascinated sometimes you get uh, two different different answers. answers yeah uh and then conversely we do use uh first and last touch so we're tracking just simple conversion like what is the conversion path it's not a perfect model i'll be candid but we've just chose one model to adopt. So we're looking at what is that conversion point between when they were a non-qualified deal and then actually a demo takes place and they become a qualified pipeline opportunity. And if that's, I don't know, event X or Google ad search or whatever it might be, that is what's getting credited. So we're combining self-attribution with conversion point data and we're using both as a way to better understand what is contributing to qualified pipeline. And then... When we think about those big bets we're making so company goals down to shared marketing and sales goals and then marketing converting or translating those into big bet priorities those are being informed by a combination of self-attribution data and looking at conversion paths and what's had the largest impact historically in terms of qualified pipeline
0: Okay, and what was your like before you started focusing on it? So I'm I'm gonna jump to the end now. Uh, The punchline is you were able to get inbound qualified pipeline. Let me Mm -hmm. make sure I'm getting this definition right of what you said. So the seventy. So when we say that you got uh, inbound qualified pipeline is seventy percent. In other words, seventy percent of total booked revenue is sourced via inbound, which for you is like you said uh, pre call primarily your website. Um, -hmm. what was the, what were the steps that you took to grow that? And what was actually, let me start here. What was the, what was that percentage before you took it to 70?
1: Uh, significantly less. I, I don't recall the exact, I mean, I've been in Alice for about a year. It, it was much less than 70. Although I want to give credit to a lot of the marketers and leaders before me, I, I inherited a pretty good engine, so I can't take full credit. Sure. But, um, yeah, so first, just to confirm, uh, when we think about qualified pipeline, and I I think hopefully we're aligned on that definition now, uh, right now as it stands, we source 70% of total new logo pipeline and revenue via an inbound source. And those inbound sources are predominantly our website, some like intent channels like G2, and our chat platform, that's like the three kind of core areas that we're capturing these inbound demo requests. And for us inbound, translate that to demo requests. Now, when we, I think the second part of your question is like, how have we achieved that? Um, it's really a multi-pronged approach, but I'll try to like simplify them down as best I can. The first is investing in knowing our customers and our audience which seems basic, but like, I'll be upfront with everyone. I earlier in my career did a shitty job investing and getting to know customers. I was just focused on picking channels and strategies and trying to optimize for it. Been there, done it. Um, so I'd be a hypocrite if, (laughs) if I didn't admit that, but, uh, you know, fortunately for me and my team, we're marketers marketing to marketers. So it's very often that we're on calls, sales and customer calls weekly. Uh, it's a benefit we have. Uh, This gives us insight around pain points and needs, Jeremiah, and we're able to take those insights and optimize point of view, messaging, content. We also get to understand like, where do they spend time? What do they do? And when we start thinking about how we translate big bets for marketing, we're already at at an advantage because I don't have to guess. I'm literally getting direct feedback. Plus, I'm a marketer, so I have a A separate advantage it's not like i'm marketing medical equipment to a doctor the next pillar for us and a big bet we made coming into this year and i'll admit it's it's been a lot of work is focused on messaging positioning uh you know one of the simplest ways in a world where it's easy to copy features and capabilities and then ultimately you get to this race of zero in terms of pricing is to come up with a unique point of view and messaging so we spent literally up to probably about two or three weeks ago i think give or take working on how do we differentiate Alice as a brand and what we do in our space with a unique point of view and a message and easier said than done. (laughs) But now that gives us a footing when we think about content and distribution and all the different things we could do as marketing, everything now rallies around that point of view. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of the second key uh, ingredient, the Uh, excuse me. The third is really a combination of how do we capture or harvest existing demand for our product that already exists, people that are raising a hand or doing a relevant search on Google or whatever it might be. And how do we ultimately create new demand? And I I think, uh, excuse me. I think where I'd start with is by saying we spend, we probably leverage about 25% of our resources and team. On capturing or harvesting existing demand. And when we say like 20, 25% harvesting existing demand, think of this as strategies including using intent data to trigger uh, more targeted sales and marketing outreach. We're doing uh, retargeting via different social platforms, et cetera. Uh, And then like a mix of branded and non branded pay per click programs mainly for us google for now but you know a few other uh platforms we're looking at as well or search engines that's probably the high level examples of what we're doing from a harvesting demand the bigger bet we make is how do we create brand affinity and brand awareness for alice by ultimately trying to reach new customers and really for us i can simplify it down and say the two main focus areas for us when we talk about creating new customers is how do we create relevant and insightful content that's valuable to our audience, and how do we distribute that content almost via like that surround sound or like surround sound is the right word, but like you're surrounding your target buyers and, and accounts as uh, efficiently as you can. So like when I translate where we've hedged big bets, again like before I share those, the benefit I've, I and the team have, and you know kudos to the entire team here is. Because we're getting self-attribution insight and because we agreed to track those conversion points, we are seeing uh, where people are predominantly coming in. So, for example, our top three largest sources of inbound, believe it or not, are LinkedIn. And in some cases, not just saying LinkedIn, it's actual employees yeah. at LinkedIn being referenced. It's... Um. God, I'm having a brain freeze. Is that allowed? Yeah, you're um, allowed to. Uh, <laughs> it's it's LinkedIn, and that's about like forty percent or so of our inbound leads. Okay. It's uh, Google search. Believe it or not, a lot of people type in Google search as a reason. I do a laugh every time I see that though. Um, and it's the communities and events that we are investing in sponsoring, and I'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. So, really simply, in like when knowing that that's. Those are the data points that we see. The big bets we're investing in are a combination of events. So like think micro and virtual. So a lot of people might know Alice for the universe, like big virtual event. It's kind of like a thought leadership agnostic event we've done the last two years. That was one of the big bet investments we made to try to educate a broader audience as opposed to like pitching Alice. Uh, We do a lot of co-marketing with a lot of uh, integration partners like a sales loft or Six cents, et cetera. And we invest a certain portion of our resources and and dollars into bigger industry events for B2B marketers or sellers. And we try to get evangelists to be able to speak on podcasts, et cetera. That's intentional. Um, We invest in certain marketing and sales communities because that's, again, our concentrated audience. One of the focus areas that we have when we invest in communities is how do we get how do we be able to allow those community members to experience Alice's gifting process? Whether it's as a new member, you get a gift or certain milestone metrics are, <coughs> excuse me, met in that community. How do we allow you to be able to get that gift so you can experience the product yourself? And then we have a bit of like a PLG virality. I think I said that word right. Um, P.S. Like I grew up with a speech impediment, so I have words. <laughs> it's, it's not intentional. But uh, (laughs) we have a bit of like a PLG motion. So like the fourth largest source or one of the other largest source of inbound for us is people who got a gift, love the experience and then wanna learn more about it for themselves. So one of the big focuses that we have with events that we do and community plays is how do we get people to actually experience gifting in the community, not just the education and insight plays. And that naturally brings people back to us long-term. It's a long-term bet that we're making. And then obviously no surprise, I mentioned LinkedIn, (laughs) We are hedging big bets on paid and organic social. We've predominantly focused on LinkedIn. We've had a lot of success there. Uh, I think we're up to like 14,000 followers and it's been with a lot of <laughs> ups and downs uh, in terms of focus there. But we've really hedged a bet there and and LinkedIn by far and wide across probably a lot of the other bets we've made ha- is paying serious dividends. And that's a combination of the company page and encouraging employees to be more active in terms of building their own brands. And we're not asking them to pitch and promote Alice per se. Sure. Just be active as a community member on LinkedIn. And naturally we're seeing huge uh, benefits for Alice. Like truthfully I have been I'll be candid prior to Alice, I maybe wasn't the biggest believer in some of this like personal branding and all the stuff that many of us hear. I can now uh, with high level of confidence tell you it does work, Um, and a large chunk of our inbound references LinkedIn, and like I said earlier, references employees. Um, So at a high level, that's sort of, Jeremiah, how we approach it, and like I said earlier, in terms of measurement, each of these big bets have unique measurements tied to that. So like LinkedIn, we're trying to put videos in feed, we're trying to put content in feed, we're not trying to take you off of LinkedIn. Right. So we're looking at content engagement or engagement on posts. Those are the types of leading metrics. Secondary metrics for us would be like, what percentage of, uh, are we seeing in traffic to Alice over time go up based on these big bets investments that we're making? How much of that is direct traffic versus branded? Are they going to the demo page? So we're looking at a subset of top line metrics tied to these big bets and that's helping inform as leading indicators. Are we gonna get some of that uh, sales qualified meeting volume that we need, and then vice versa, the translation above it. And it's, again, truthfully, the seventy <laughs> percent hasn't happened by accident. It's that strategy of about seventy five percent of our focus on creating new demand, about twenty twenty five percent on capturing, or harvesting. I like the word harvest. Uh, I don't hear anyone use it.
0: I like that too. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's a hunting term as well. I, I didn't. That was the first time I heard it. People yeah. harvest deer, and I was like, oh, that's a yeah.
1: nicer way of like. I, I live in Charleston, South Carolina now. So there's a lot of farm areas just outside the city. And so I, I just hear the term referenced a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, and then because we have those shared common currency, uh, goals, if you will, everything just ties back to common currency. So the last thing I'd share is, you know, the, one of the common questions I've always gotten is like, how do you prioritize? How do you know what to say yes to and what to say no to? Well, when one of your core metrics is like sales qualified meetings, when we're seeing through self attribution and or through like the conversion point of how somebody converted to an opportunity in Salesforce, we know what things are contributing to that metric more than others. So by default, the first thing we do is default to what does the data tell us today? And then when we're trying to make decisions on prioritization, if we're unsure what that impact's going to be, then the simple answer is no. Doesn't mean we won't experiment. Doesn't mean we won't commit resources to try new things, but we'll always hedge back down to what does our historical data say? Where have we seen the largest impact on those things? How do we balance experiments with what we know has had the biggest impact on those common currency goals, if you will? I wanna ask a couple
0: follow-up questions to this. So first is, do you think you'd feel as bullish like investing in all these things, it sounds like your what you said was like your self attributions kind of saying one thing, and then you you like to use the more like for lack of a better term like automated attribution or like those two types like the first last touch points. Um, I'm guessing those don't always say the same thing, right? Because you've got no. someone who can who like consumes mm-hmm. yours or you know Nick's content on LinkedIn for three months and then just mm-hmm. goes to Alice.com, so your automation is going to say direct. And they're gonna say in the input form, love Pete's posts on LinkedIn. And, w- but you but you said it kind of gives you this like holistic approach, it sounds like. Like it gives you a holistic view. So my question is, without that, without the self-reported, do you think you'd be as bullish on some of these channels, which, you know, whatever, it's all over LinkedIn. It's, you know, dark has gone from like a niche thing a few people talked about, it's like everyone's talking about it. But
1: yeah, do you think yeah. you'd
0: be as bullish on sort of these, you're really leaning in heavily to some of these formerly so-called unattributable sources to drive inbound pipeline. Um, And do you think you'd have been so bullish if you didn't have the qualified form or was it for you always like a, yeah, even if we didn't have it, I kind of know that's how I buy and that's how people buy nowadays.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I always come back to what is the common currency goal that the team and I have. And it's okay if you choose, to not use self attribution and you want to use conversion point tracking, that's fine. Just know that that conversion tracking point may be misleading. Um, so for example, when when we refer to the comp the conversion point metric for a lot of our inbound leads is the website. But for you and I to logically say, Jeremiah, that somebody woke up, went to a Google search engine or any search engine for that matter, typed in alice.com, knew to come look for Alice and then fill out that form. I just I tend to not believe that to be the case. Maybe it is. Um, So there's nothing wrong with that model. I think just the danger of that is then you're guessing, as I've done in parts of my career with mixed success, candidly around where you hedge bets and where you don't. So I like the idea of using both. and I would still remain bullish on on the decisions we're making, but I would feel more confident in my model as long as I was injecting both kind of strategies into it. Like and candidly, if we weren't benefiting as much from inbound, that's okay too. That just means more emphasis on targeted marketing, who you know having a shared definition of who we're trying to target to. How do we elevate the experiences that we're trying to deliver for people? No different than inbound. I try. We like to think about as a team is how do we elevate any experience that a traditional customer is used to? Gifting is one easy way to amplify and elevate experiences. Uh, example would be like the common way you di- di- digest content online is like a blog or an ebook. It's like a PDF on a landing page or a website. So one like test that we've like, to to do before is like injecting a chat platform or chat bot on that asset so then like when a certain scroll depth is met for example we'll try to use that chat feature as a way to promote supporting content or messaging no different than you would in the asset itself coupled with like we'll inject a gift or a gift offer like hey maybe go get coffee as you digest the rest of this content and maybe these two assets as well wow that's smart like and all of a sudden you're just you're elevating a traditional experience that's gotten pretty dull and just predictable for all of us and that's that's just the way as I'm just for me personally I'm trying to find ways to elevate what has become a very traditional kind of predictable model for so many of us as both buyers and marketers and sellers and that's just the mentality we have as a team are we perfect at it no are we the best at it I don't pretend to be uh, there's some teams that kick our butts in a few areas, but we kick we kick a lot of companies' butts in, in quite a few areas too. But it's with that mindset. It's how do we elevate experiences that we're all used to. Um, and we look for inspiration. There are some companies doing great things, and we use them as inspiration to push ourselves to be better.
0: Now, um, something this is something I love geeking out on. So you reference positioning and mm-hmm. crafting your point of view and getting that mm-hmm. out there more. I love this, right? Because you're saying effectively, like, where maybe before you were more forced to compete on price point or features, now you're taking, you're doing the hard work of crafting, like, uh, the point of view that you believe about gifting or, you know, the, the greater thing that you believe, and you're sharing it. I'm, a, I'm guessing you're sharing it at various points on your website, on social content, on all these channels, in your communities, you're baking it in. And then, you're attracting people who agree with your point of view and all of a sudden it's like well even if you were up against three competitors who do the exact same thing at the exact same price point if you're the uh if you're the one championing the point of view and they agree with that you know there's there's more alignment there there's more um affinity for your brand i would think and i'm i'm curious like what did what did that process look like of going through and crafting that point of view?
1: Uh, it's hard. <laughs> um, candidly, it starts with a lot of conversations. So, uh, fortunately my team and I, again, have a benefit of being on a lot of sales and customer calls. So we intentionally scheduled customer calls with some really successful customers, got to understand their perspectives, good and bad, by the way. Uh, we spent a lot of time on prospect calls and we do use gong as a call recording platform so we listen to calls and we're looking for certain trends in that um at that time we also had a relatively new product marketing leader who recently had joined the organization and uh she's fantastic uh, her name is megan by the way um but we decided to supplement megan given that she was newer so we brought in dave gerhardt who many people probably know and dave operated as a consultant with us just to help further refine how we think about positioning and messaging Alice in a new and unique way Um, and then we just started to throw things out there so we started coming up with different ideas we like put it on our homepage as a test we did some winter tests we tracked conversion rates over a certain period of time and we were just looking for some leading indicators and I think I think the thing I would leave this entire group with is even the point of view we have today around outbound marketing and there's a better way that Uh, We believe everyone can do outbound marketing to drive outbound love. I don't pretend that it's a perfect message that won't likely need to be refined over time. What I'm confident is I think the foundation of of a strong point of view is there, that our entire team collectively believes while it may evolve, it gives us a, a unique perspective to be able to help educate. We basically have elevated the conversation beyond just being a gifting company to how do we help organizations think about all the different strategies and ways that they can deliver and elevate experiences beyond thinking about things as a channel. So how do you think about how to be more personal, more relevant, and more thoughtful in everything you do? Which by the way, Jeremiah, I don't wanna speak for you, but in any engagement you have with a brand, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life, if it checks those three boxes, I'm fairly confident you're gonna have a high likelihood of having a positive, belief in that brand or a, or a likelihood to respond versus if it lacks personalization, it lacks relevancy, and it's not thoughtful, I'm almost certain I know what the opposite uh, belief will be. And it was very intentional. A lot of customer conversations. Dave, kudos to Dave. Uh, he was great resource for us in that area. Uh, but even that, Jeremiah, like, that was intentional. We brought Dave in to help there. Right. Dave could help us in 500 other areas. He's a fantastic marketer. Our intention was like, let's bring someone who's helped do this at a stage of a company that we're at yeah. before with a lot of success. And he became a supplement to our team so we can move faster while the team's also focusing on other things. I'm not going to say we did it perfect. There's a lot of lessons that we could probably spend a whole another session on. I, I'm trying to give you like the high level. Uh, but I'm very bullish on it. I've learned a ton uh, and it's very rewarding. And, you know, the last thing I would share with this group is what I believe from a point of view after going through this is if you're not alienating some people with your messaging, it probably means you didn't take a strong enough angle. Hmm. And that was like, one of the things that we discussed as a team is how do we put on a, a point of view that we're going to find a lot of people that love and support it. And want to share that mission with us. And there's going to be others who are like, Hmm, I don't know. And that's okay because that means that we've got something that's provocative it's going to stir up conversation. It's going to stir up debate and that means as a marketer like i can create a ton of engagement a ton of content and and you can have a lot of fun with that versus everyone agrees jeremiah like people are going to tune out after a few weeks or they're going to tune out after a few months so that was that was a lot of the logic that we applied to a person
0: yeah no i love that um all right so how long did this take like this process from when <laughs> you know inbound is is some lower percentage you were able to implement these pillars and you saw it climb up to 70% was that uh you said you said you've been there a year was that about <laughs> like the full year or was that a more condensed period
1: uh you mean the inbound the percent of inbound impacting qualified pipeline and revenue yeah. going up yep. uh that has gradually improved over the course of the year it wasn't like and and please, it wasn't P join and it magically went up because I'm um, amazing. No, a lot of that, again, like foundationally, there was a good foundation there. We were already had a pretty good model on LinkedIn. We had some pretty good engagement there. We were going into year two of Universe and Universe last year for us, we had almost three thousand registrants, like a forty five percent attendance rate. We had great speakers. Like we already had a lot of positive momentum because of a lot of great past marketing leaders and marketers. And I I do not deserve the right to take credit for any of that.
0: Uh, Sure. Yeah. yeah. For me,
1: it was how do we refocus the team on these big bets and some of the things that we talked about. And as we've done that, we've slowly started to see the benefits of the investments that we made. Kind of like investing in your retirement, investing in the stock market. We didn't anticipate any of the big bet investments that we're making to be short term plays. This 70% has been more recently this year. And over the last two quarters um, from where it was when I joined, um, because again, these are big bets, LinkedIn, paid or, uh, you know, organic social optimizing content distribution in feed. Those are not just going to, you're going to magically see pipeline and and revenue immediately. These are big bet investments, no different than you investing in a 401k or IRA. So it's, that was the mentality that we applied and the way we cough, we calm the nerves, if you will, was agreeing on those common currency goals. Again, I'm going to keep using that term until it gets sticky, but agreeing on those metrics and those secondary leading indicators on stuff was performing or not. And then as stuff was just progressing favorably month over month, uh, there was enough confidence to kind of just let us keep doing our thing. And on the side, we're trying to build an outbound engine. We still are, by the way, outbound. You know, it's funny. We came up with this new point of view that you know something I'll share with this audience to be... Vulnerable for a second is we have our own journey that we're doing to try to improve our own outbound motions. Jeremiah, like we could spend a whole another session about where we're good or not good at on that. Um, but we're on our own journey about trying to supplement our inbound engine with a stronger, more predictable kind of targeted sales and marketing slash like ABM motion. And that's been a whole whole nother session that we could have around the learnings and journey there as well. So it's honestly, it's a journey. We're having fun with it. We're trying to be focused on a couple of big bets. We know a lot of these bets are long-term investments and we're just staying the course. And, you know, for me, I'm willing to jump on the sword. So like I say to my boss, who's the CEO all the time, like these bets are the bets I'm making on behalf of the team, with the team. And if for some reason that you lose faith or confidence in it, then like that's on me. That's not on the team. Mm. So that's also that. how I think we've built some uh flexibility for the marketing organization at least to be more confident and comfortable with focusing on a few big bets as opposed to 57 things yeah
0: no that's awesome man i have one more question if, if you're willing to go a couple minutes over yeah um sure. so i i want to just kind of wrap up i think this is uh, something we you know we want to continually try and suss out on the show is what are some of the a lot of times when, when you listen to people, you know, you get these like practical ideas or tactics to take away like, oh, you know, uh, Help Scout drove uh, website conversions up by 6% or Pete and Al- and his team at Alice, you know, increased uh, uh, qualified pipeline, you know, sourced in 70% of it through inbound through these tactics. A lot of the things are dependent on the brand, dependent to your point on like what's been going on the past couple of years where other leaders have made investments. So transitioning away the conversation away from sort of those tactics now to like habits and disciplines. What do you think are some habit? you've listed some, what do you think are some habits and disciplines the team does well that kind of keep your eye on these metrics and allow them to grow? Like you, like a couple yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of is like you said, you're pretty, pretty focused on making a couple big bets and you're, Consistent about keeping the numbers in front of you and keeping these common currency numbers like aligned with the team. Are there any others besides that that you think like people could learn from? Like yeah. something
1: that they can emulate. Yeah, yeah. The foundational level is the common currency or goals or North Star, whatever terminology you like to use. That's the foundation. If you don't have alignment there, it doesn't matter anything else. It's just gonna fall off. It's then translating that to the big bet priorities. I think that's the thing I'm most proud of with the team is, it's funny, we've we've been having a few conversations internally and even despite some of the potential adjustments we might make as a company in the back half of the year, the marketing priorities are still very much consistent and aligned despite the changes we're making company-wise because our big bets were just logically translated well from <laughs> the other foundational stuff that we're discussing. So like from a marketing perspective, we don't have to pivot too dramatically. We might have to adjust some of the strategies or channels themselves, but in terms of like those overall big bets, there's actually almost no adjustment that we're making. So I would say the common currency to aligning on the big bets, and then really the last habit is I admitted it earlier, I'll be vulnerable. I don't pretend to be the best marketer. I don't want people to think of me as an influencer, the greatest thing. Everything I'm sharing with you is learning in the trenches and making way more mistakes than I care to admit, but hiring exceptional people. We have a small team at Alice, but it is a kick-ass team. Uh, Some of the best of the best at what they do. And that just makes these things easier. Like when we have a brainstorming session, the ideas are awesome. And the result of that is things like, I'll pick on like G2. Uh, when we get like those seasonal G2 re- review reports that come out, you know, the common approach that most brands take is like a quick post online or something like, hey, we won five badges. Like this might seem little to people, but we always try to elevate like how we share that news. So we have a awesome video and creative person on our team who takes those and we come up with like these creative themes around how we present the awards and the recognition that customers have sh- share on the behalf of Alice. And even those little things go a long way in terms of building audience trust and engagement, but it's also fun for marketing. And that's kind of the last thing I would say, it's like commit to challenging status quo and having fun. Like for me personally, if I'm not challenging and trying new things, I get bored. <laughs> I'm probably not gonna be a good team member because I'll get negative and because I'm so transparent and direct, I'm married to a seller, by the way, so like I'm naturally just direct because of her. <laughs> but um, I can't hold my my feelings and emotions. I'm not a good poker player unfortunately. So my team will probably tell you, good or bad, I just believe in in being direct and transparent with people. but the the side benefit of of that type of mindset is having a commitment to having fun, being honest and direct with people, challenging the status quo. And just being honest with yourself when you feel like you're not achieving those things. So those are some of the things that we practice and we apply to the strategy and those goals and stuff that we Um And if you want me to go a minute longer, I know there was a LinkedIn question that you got around how yes. we use Alice.
0: I was going to ask you off mic because you touched on it a little bit and I didn't want to keep yeah. you. But yeah, if you're willing, our CEO yeah. would love
1: to know how Alice uses Alice. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give the basic answer first and then I'll give like one, probably my personal favorite example. So a couple of the I'd say more basic or common ways we use it is first we, we do use six Sense as our uh, kind of ABM and intent provider. And what we're using six Sense for is to supplement that inbound engine that we spoke about earlier. We're using six Sense to help determine like that peak intent threshold of who our best fit named or non-named accounts are, or what Six Sense refers to as like a marketing qualified account. And then when one of those correct prospects is identified, our sales and marketing efforts apply that like surround outbound type of strategy or outreach to it. And we typically treat gifting not as a silver bullet. So um, sorry, I don't want to offend anyone. I know there's a lot of hate for sending gift cards to get meetings that is not something that we necessarily suggest it does work for some of our customers by the way uh typically customers with strong brands and strong market awareness tend to have more success with that than than less well-known brands uh but for us we don't typically although we used to we definitely tested it there was a time where we would send gifts or gift cards or stuff very early in the sales process. Now we basically use six cents and intent data to help us better know when we believe gifting can be woven in as part of a larger mix of strategies and tactics we're using to try to engage accounts. So that would be one example. Think of it like weaving gifting into a omni-channel approach where we're using gifting as an amplifier to the emails, the events and stuff that we're sending to people gifting is the 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 icing on the cake if you will it's not the transactional here's a gift jeremiah to take a meeting with a sales rep right the other common way we use it is when deals get stuck so deals gone dark cotton procurement red lines we've all lived the red line god bless all the legal teams out there uh we like to use gifting as like an accelerator uh so for example we've created like what we call a mid funnel accelerator kit it's some very highly, high quality, like cool gifts, like super cozy blanket stuff. And we'll send that as part of like an omni-channel mix when deals are like in the mid stages with us. Okay. And it directs you back to like a landing page and things like that. It's just, that's another way that we're using gifting. It's just, again, it's an amplifier. It's not the single point solution to, oh, a deal's stuck. Just send them a gift. It's It's meant to be a supplement to other things we're trying to do to drive engagement or to strengthen relationships. We look at gifting overall in the sales process is How do you use it to show appreciation and strengthen relationships with people you've already developed relationships with instead of, Hey, I'm trying to go out and date with you for the first time. And I'm gonna send you a TGI gift card before I ask you out. Like, I wouldn't do that in my personal life. So why would I do that in a business setting? The last, um, you know quickly thing i would share is my favorite example of using alice at alice the common kind of like traditional booth or trade show experience is one where like you or i jeremiah pack a bunch of swag in a suitcase or we ship it ahead of event Pain in the ass by the way <laughs> and then like you or i go to the booth and we get like an oversized shirt or another coffee mug or tumbler or pen like most people I know don't need more of that stuff in their lives, although some people love it. All the, all the better to all of them. For us, we like to approach it differently. So we believe in setting up like a store experience. So basically our booth has a, almost like a shopping cart experience or aisle exp- like buying experience that you would see when you walk into like a traditional brick and mortar store. Yeah. And then to supplement that, we've, we create as part of our product, you can set up a digital store. So, for example, if the event's in Austin, Texas, we will curate a mix of some branded items, some locally sourced Austin, like a regional local type gifts, like hot sauce and things like that. Maybe like cowboy hats, whatever it might be. Um, And then as the recipient, we, we produce what we call these swag cards. So it could be like you could replace a business card. You could put someone's business card information in the front and this QR code and url on the back and in essence i could pass this out to you at any point you could stop by my booth you and i could get dinner i could run into you on the taxi (laughs) sitting in line at the taxi thing in the airport we just got to know each other i hand this to you and either at the booth or on your own time you go to this digital experience you pick the gift that you want and then it's mailed you enter in your information it's shipped directly to you so now you don't have to worry about bringing it with you i don't know about it you but I try to pack lightly so (laughs) that's partially intentional so I don't bring a bunch of crap home as my wife says Uh, so for me like that is easily by far Jeremiah my favorite personal use but for Peter and anyone that's wondering like the common ways we use it it's really like applying it into our outbound motions being fed by intent data it's when deals get stuck and then we have a lot of smaller moments like post contract sign like showing appreciation We like to do like abm kits for relevant buyers who are interested in things like swag post event attendance you attend an event we'll send you like gifts and stuff as part of that like post event type of process and even things like promotions like hey be one of the first 100 people or 50 people that signs up for x you can get y Hmm. so it's a lot of plays like that and it serves us really well typically we see our response rates go up at least four or five x when it's woven in at the right time and again That's we like key. to think of it as an amplifier, not as a silver bullet solution. So,
0: yeah, I love it. Awesome. Pete's going to love that, um, man. This has been so helpful. I hope you'll be willing to come back. Um, and yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for your time.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for opportunity. I'm happy to come back, although can't promise you it'll be valuable. So. <laughs>
0: it will be. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thank you.